welcome to those watching or listening. These are unusual times that we're all going through. All of us are experiencing the results of this COVID-19 pandemic. Please remember that the church is not the building, it is the people. And that there is something strangely comforting being here in this building this morning to deliver this message. I miss seeing each one of you. I miss seeing you in your normal seats there in the morning service. Know that you are on my heart, you are often on my mind, and quite often in my prayers. Matter of fact, let's open in prayer this, this day. Father, thank you for your presence here. Thank you for how you have provided for each person watching this morning. And I pray, Father, that you would continue to provide all that they need, that you would guard them from loneliness, that you would help them see places to serve in your name. Now, Father, would you enable me to effectively communicate the truths of this passage this morning? May those who watch be attentive listeners, and may you provide for them through your Holy Spirit truth and wisdom and know how to apply it. We thank you, Father, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This Sunday we are celebrating Palm Sunday, and so I have chosen as a text this morning John chapter 12, verses 9 to 26. I need to share with you a story that I've shared in the past, but I'm going to add some more details. For many years, our dad took the family every year to the boat show at McCormick Place there in Chicago. We would often spend the entire day going up and down rows of these small boats, large boats, cabin cruisers. We would look at the newest models. We would climb into the larger cabins and ooh and ah at, at how beautifully it was all compactly arranged. Beautiful. We would admire the horsepower and the engines, both inboard and outboard. We would glance at the price and as we walked away would laugh and say, no way. But can I tell you something? It, it was a beautiful day each time we went. But I need to tell you something that you don't know. In all these years, my family has never owned a boat. Matter of fact, we have not even rented one. My dad was curious, but never committed. Isn't that like most of us? Now, I know some of you own boats. But we're very curious. We're interested. We even at times, what they say, kick the tires. But we never make a decision to become fully committed in certain areas. I have met couples dating for more than 10 years, but never married. Others talk about future plans. Matter of fact, they talk about these plans for decades but they never seem to pull the trigger. And each one of us in our own lives come to points of decision 
but we fail to become committed. And we're going to see this this morning as we look in on what happened on Palm Sunday. So turn if you, turn if you would with me to John chapter 12, starting at verse 9. Let me give you the background of the passage. This was the season of the Passover feast. Large crowds were pouring into the Jerusalem area. And some suggest that perhaps the population swelled to six times its normal size during these seasons of festivals. The courtyard of the temple was jammed. They did not have any idea of practicing social distancing. They were wall-to-wall people. The countryside was filled with campers. It was like Scott County Park over the 4th of July. The temple in Jerusalem was not only the religious center of the nation, it was also the cultural heart of Judaism. Now, Jesus was traveling from Galilee, which is in northern Israel, down eventually into Jerusalem. He he stopped at Bethany to just happen to raise Lazarus from the dead. And we're going to see in this passage that Jesus could no longer keep his location quiet and secret. Now, in this passage we're going to look at this morning... There are three major groups of people. Number one, there are the Passover visitors, those who can travel from all over the nation and actually outside of the world to come to Jerusalem for the Feast of Passover. The second group is those who watched Lazarus being raised from the dead, and they have just connected themselves to Jesus' entourage as they make their way into Jerusalem. Thirdly, there are the religious leaders of Judaism who are taking this all in and trying to understand what they need to do. Well, would you look at John 12, beginning at verse 9, and we're going to see the backdrop to Jesus' ride into Jerusalem. Verse 9. When the large crowd of Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came, not only on account of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to put Lazarus to death as well, because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. What we see in these three verses is the official antagonism towards Lazarus now becoming real. We find here in these verses the curious crowd. They want to know what really happened. Is he really alive? What does someone look like after and what does someone smell like after they've been in a grave for three days? See, Lazarus was becoming a threat to unbelievers due to him being a living witness to the power of Jesus Christ. And the religious leaders were so upset that they wanted Lazarus to be put back in a tomb, dead. 
they be, he, Lazarus became a threat to their power and control over the people. So that's the backdrop to what's going to happen next. Starting at verse 12, we see the actual triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. Verse 12. The next day, this is Sunday, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. Now, what is the scene that's being set? This wild enthusiasm has broken out over, uh, from Jesus' followers by the thronging worshipers anticipating the Passover feast. It was a noisy public parade. And with palm branches, they were singing his praises. Now, a palm branch in this culture at this time symbolized peace and victory. It symbolized nationalism and liberation. And they were crying out, Hosanna, which interpreted means give salvation now. The crowd was publicly identifying Jesus as their Messiah. This is heady stuff. The Pharisees are taking this all in. And side note, would you just understand that if you look at the whole life of Jesus, this was the only public demonstration that Jesus allowed during his earthly ministry was him being declared the Messiah of Israel. In verses 14 and 15, there is a prophecy found, and Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. This prophecy is found in Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. And Jesus fulfills this prophecy. And he doesn't visit Jerusalem as a worshiper this day. He comes this day by this prophecy, claiming his kingship over Israel. Now notice, he doesn't come on a white horse as a conquering hero. He comes on a donkey's colt as a humble servant to the nation. John then goes on in verses 16 through 19 to talk about the reaction of the people to all that's going on. And he highlights four different groups in these four verses. Verse 16 were the disciples. His disciples did not understand these things at first. But when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and been done to him. See, the disciples did not realize all the implication of Jesus' entry into Jerusalem at this particular time. 
He, they did not understand God's plan for the kingdom. They lacked perspective of the cross and the resurrection that was still to take place. And so to fill the blank in there on your outline, the disciples lacked perspective. Now, isn't that like us? We don't see God's big picture. We want God to act now in our lives. We want him to give us immediate relief for what our situation is. We don't want to wait. And we think we know all the different pieces that God is bringing together, and, and we just have no real perspective. Often, as well, we fail to trust God's goodness. We fail to take his care into our lives as a settled fact. We lack God's perspective. And we need to let God be God in each of our lives. Let him provide the perspective at his time, not ours. The second group of people that were there was what I call the Lazarus crowd. That's found in verse 17. The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb. That's why I call it the Lazarus crowd. They were there and saw the miracle. They were there, and when they raised him from the dead, they continued to bear witness. So to fill in your blank, the Lazarus crowd were greatly impressed. Matter of fact, they were so impressed that they spread the report of this notable sign to anyone who would listen. And they attached themselves to the Jesus and discipleship entourage as they traveled further to Jerusalem. There's a third group found in verse 18. And I call this the Passover crowd. They were not there at Bethany when the healing took place. Verse 18. The reason why the crowd went to meet him, see they're not with him now, was that they heard he had done this sign. The Passover crowd was curious. It's a different crowd from verse 17. They, they had superficial enthusiasm. They just wanted to see all that took place. Can I suggest this morning that devotion only based on curiosity or popularity fades quickly. See, these people had little spiritual perception. They just wanted to see and understand the show that took place with Lazarus. So they were curious. Verse 19 is the fourth group. These are the Pharisees. Verse 19. So the Pharisees said to one another, You see that you are gaining nothing? Look, the world has gone after him. I describe the Pharisees as a group with helpless rage. 
You see, they understood the meaning of the events that all too well that were taking place right now. They understood that as Jesus gained popularity, that the loyalty of the people would shift from them to the Messiah. And it would leave the Pharisees powerless. They felt they had no option but to eliminate Jesus as well. Can I also suggest a principle as I studied this? Is that public miracles do not always produce personal faith. We have seen God work in many of our lives and others have watched those truths, but it doesn't compel them to embrace the Savior because of what he's done in our life. Well, in verses 20 to 26, Jesus pronounces his own death. And I want you to notice the contrast between the furiously frustrated Pharisees and these seeking Greeks that we're going to hear about starting in verse 20. Now among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. So they came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went up and told Andrew. Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. Now this was the Greeks' request. They probably were God-fearing Greeks. They were here at the time of Passover festival. They were hungry to know more about this God. They were God-fearing Gentiles. And John includes them in the narrative to signal that Jesus no longer belonged to Judaism exclusively because Judaism at that point had rejected him. And as these Greeks repeatedly kept asking these disciples, we wish to see Jesus. It reminds me of a disciple's responsibility, both then and now. Our responsibility is to bring people to Jesus. So my question is, as we are going through COVID-19 and social distancing, how are you still bringing people to Jesus? Because that's our job, to point people to the Savior. Starting in verses 23 through 26, Jesus responds with a parable. Verse 23, And Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, Unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will will honor him. Four 
things come out of these four verses. Number one, there's a new pronouncement in verse 23. See, up to this point, as you read through the different Gospels, Jesus is saying repeatedly, this is not my hour. My hour has not yet come. But here, for the first time, he answers them and says, the hour has come. The hour is now, because he's been rejected by Jewish leaders, coupled with a genuine interest by the Gentiles. In verse 24, he then gives us a picture of his sacrifice. A picture of his sacrifice. Verse 24, truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. He says, truly, truly, this is another important revelation or truth that he wants us to take note of. And what is that truth? Seeds never produce grain until they fall into the ground and die. I have here seed packets. Beautiful frosty peas, red acre cabbage, and then look at these beautiful celebrity hybrid tomatoes. Yummy. There's seeds in each of these packages. I've had these packages now for a couple years. I have not received a single vegetable from any of these packages. Why is that? Because you have to get out of the package and into the dirt. Jesus is saying in this parable, in this verse, death is necessary for a harvest. And when that harvest takes place, new life and many seeds will result as well. And it's so hard to see that lived out in the life of our Savior, Jesus Christ. But can I suggest as well, it is very hard to see it lived out in our own lives. Dying to self to produce fruit. He then goes on in that theme in verse 25 and suggests a paradoxical principle. He takes the wheat analogy of verse 24 and expands on it. And he illustrates this general principle. The principle is, death is the way to life. Death is the way to life. It says there, I need to hate my own life. Now what does that mean? It means I'm so committed to Christ that I have no concern for myself. And anything can become an idol in our lives. There is a show called The $100,000 Pyramid that often I've watched with my wife. And they get you to say some kind of statement. And so I would like the statement to be things a seed might say. So if the seeds here, these tomato seeds, could speak. Here's what I think they would say. It's so safe 
with these batch of other seeds with everyone else. But there's a day that I rip open the package and I take these seeds and I put them in the dirt. I cover them over. I water them and put them in sunlight or artificial light. And the seed is now saying, it is so cold, it is so dark, it is so moist in this dirt. And the longer the seed sits in the dirt, the seed is now saying, my outer shell is, is rotting away. I, I don't like this. It's so lonely being here all by myself. I, this is not self-pleasing. I don't like this. And I could see the seed saying near the end, I want to quit. I want to be back in the package with the rest of the seeds. I don't like this process. But we have to say to the seed, it's always too early to quit. Hang in there. Why? Because the only way that you can achieve your goal of being a seed is by being planted and going through this death process so you in turn can produce many seeds and many pieces of fruit and vegetable. But the seed doesn't like it. And neither do we. When God plants us when God puts us in the dirt, when God waters and puts us under the heat lamp of life, death is the way to life, just like Jesus. But he gives us hope in verse 26. He says, if anyone serves me, he must follow me. He must do what I ask him to do. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Jesus, in this verse, it is a call to glorious discipleship. Jesus calls us as believers to follow his example into this process of death and burial and glorious resurrection. And we're to follow him in death and his humiliation. And later he says the Father will honor or bring glory to him and to us. There's a purpose to being planted and dying to self. So what does this mean for us individually and corporately? Three or four things. Number one, so where are you? Are you curious or are you committed? Have you followed the crowd of curious seekers to see what Jesus is all about? That's great. But don't stop there. Become one of his committed followers. It involves a decision to place your trust, your faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior from sin. All of us are sinners. All of us need our sin situation dealt with. And Jesus on the cross took care of it. 
but I must place my faith in him for it to be applied to my life. Do that today. Secondly, as a responsible disciple, are you bringing people to Jesus? Or are you hoping that they will just catch it like we're passing the COVID-19 virus? It doesn't work that way. We need to open our mouths and we need to let them see our lives with their struggles and everything so that someday they will say, would you please tell me about Jesus, the Savior? And you're going to bring them to Jesus. I pray in these days that you will have more and more opportunities to share your faith with others. Thirdly, are you lacking perspective like the disciples? Do you second-guess God? Do you gripe and, and evaluate how he's treating you at this moment? Do you grumble and complain? Do you say, God, if you only understood what was going on, your plan would be so different from me? We forget God's goodness, we doubt his wisdom, and even in these uncertain times, those truths of God's goodness and his wisdom and his power still are in effect. Trust him. Don't doubt it. Finally, are you following Jesus in dying to self? Because there's no glory without suffering. There's no fruitful life without death. There is no victory without surrender. Where is Jesus asking you to be planted and die? Because the question becomes, are you comfortable in the seed packet? Or are you being conformable to Christ in both his death, burial, and ultimate resurrection. Please consider those questions. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this passage and for your triumphant entry into Jerusalem. And I pray that you would just provide for each person that's listening this morning, that you would strengthen them to deal with the uncertainty of today, and may we again trust your goodness and trust your wisdom, trust your provision for your followers. And thank you, Father, for your care for us. Apply these truths to our lives, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.